0: Hello everyone, two games this week, although we only asked for your thoughts on Friday night's game at Bolton. We'll start with the more positive reviews. Steve Bennett thought it wasn't terrible, but there's simply no cutting edge to the team. Tom Mayle saw much better ball movement in the first half, but a lack of quality up front that let us down. The second part of that was echoed by Steve Hatton, who says, once we're in the final third, we've no clue. He adds, there's no width as one player is awful and the other is playing on the wrong side. Craig Fisher also picked up on this lack of width, saying there's no point trying to play wide as we don't have players who can play wide. Anthony Evans would like to see Lundström rewarded for his performance on Tuesday with a place at right back with Rio on the left. Alex Smith agrees. He adds Rio looked bored and frustrated out on the left. Andrew Steele doesn't remember a single assault at the Bolton goal until Crew hit the post in the 90th minute. Andy Griffiths was optimistic until the penalty, but thinks when we go behind, crew collapse. Graham Miles says there's no pride or fight in this team, with Andy O'Neill labelling it spineless. The work rate and intensity is dreadful. Tyler Bertels labelled debutant Zach Williams as the only good thing to come out of the game. Jonathan Ditt thinks him and Billy Sass will make a great partnership next year in League Two. Ant Copeland is another who thought he was the only good thing, labelling the rest as dreadful. Anthony Stevens wants us to just play our own as Williams and Larry were the only decent players. The rest are expensive passengers. Some of you kept it short and sweet. Adam Clawley used one four-letter expletive. Chris Jones said simply, gutless. Mr B could only use emojis. And Grant Coyley advises anyone who wants to know what he thought to check out his Twitter feed. Gresty Road Ender says he agrees with Artel who said we can't go toe to toe with the likes of Bolton. We'll end with Adam Turner, whose main problem is the amount of players who have gone backwards this season. It's worrying and confidence is now rock bottom. <laughs> Digging, dog, digging, do, 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 do. Welcome.
1: My name is Tim Robinson, and this is the Railway Moon podcast. This week, defensive blunders see Wanderers Plunder, all three points on Friday night. It's men against boys, literally in midweek, as a meeker double, Rex Wolves under 21s. The future is bright, cruise kids into round three in the FA Youth Cup, and it's Jill's up next to Gresty Road. We'll talk about whether a win on Saturday is actually possible, or if it's simply the stuff of a Madman's dreams. We've got a Fan Hub update, and as always, the Minutes game. All that and more coming up on this week's Railman Podcast. It's Monday 15th of November for you, listener, or possibly after that, but for us here, it's still Sunday, and we are recording live from the top floor of Railhouse, as we do every week. And to review recent goings-on, we've got... All Sage and massive in the house, Mark Bertels. Hello, Mark. Hello. We've also got to boost the youth ratings, Russ Fern, Hi, Russ. Hi, Tim. And last but not least, Cockney Diamond Geezer, Alex Arani. Hello, Alex.
2: Afternoon, Tim. I always seem to get the short straw. Whenever I'm on these pods, you seem to be hosting nowadays. I don't know what I've done to Stu.
1: <laughs> yeah, sorry about that. And to you, listener. Don't worry, Stu will be back next week. Um, have you recovered from your busy weekend, Alex?
2: Yep. Uh, Friday night, obviously, I was at... Um... Bolton game. Uh, I was out in Manchester with my good pal Lee. Uh, we lost each other. He lives in Orchingham. I managed to get a cab home. Uh, slept on his doorstep because he didn't answer the door when I was knocking on it. So yeah, bit of a bit of an interesting Friday night. But then straight to Fortress Crest yesterday for all the fun and games of the Youth Cup. So the adventures of Alex and Ronnie continue. I didn't make it to the women's game today though. That was just a bridge too far for me.
1: Ah uh, Well, we'll we hope to hear more about those adventures as we go. Uh, So let's get down to it. I'm sure there's going to be some familiar themes when we discuss Friday night's trip to Bolton, but first of all, we've got a win to discuss. Not just any win, either. As the official Crew Alex Twitter account was keen to point out, a win that secured our tabletop status in the Papa John's trophy and ensured a home tie in the next round against Doncaster Rovers. And, Mark, you were there, so tell us all about it.
3: I was indeed. I think I said uh, in the last... uh... Well, not round, but last group game against Brigham, that I wouldn't go to these games if I thought it was going to be um, your standard, not that we've got a standard 11 at the moment, but you know what I mean, the familiar faces. The attraction for me is to see how the up-and-coming youngsters are doing, and I wasn't disappointed. I think it was 10 changes, and it was good. It was positive. Uh, there was good football, good goals, uh, one or two really good performances, and then it dawned on me afterwards that why wouldn't it be? It's a core of a group of players that have played together since, I don't know, the ages of five, six, seven, that know exactly what they're doing. And it was a complete opposite to the first team. There was a desire to win. There was a desire to attack. And then 3-0 up in the, I don't know, 87th, 88th minute in a meaningless game. um, The goalkeeper's hurling himself in front of the blocks and the defenders are diving in to desperately keep that clean sheet when it doesn't really matter. and I said afterwards, it was like a breath of fresh air. And it was. It was a good performance and a good win. The manager said before he hoped that win could kickstart the season and without jumping too far ahead. Only four of those players featured on Friday night. So I don't really see how that result's going to have any bearing on the uh, first team.
1: So I think you're right. This, this tournament, especially since the under-21 teams were introduced, is, in my opinion, synonymous with development. And Wolves played a very... Young side, and I thought it was especially nice that they gave some minutes to their promising young goalkeeping talent, John Ruddy. Um, how much will he have learned from the experience? Because he made a few good saves, didn't he? It would have been invaluable, and I think uh, a game like that um,
3: is just what somebody of his caliber of goalkeeper needed. To be honest, you know, the experience of playing in front of a um, a crowd uh, it it, it symbolises everything that the, the competition stands for at the moment.
2: That's far too subtle for our listeners, by the way. <laughs> far, far too subtle for them.
1: What is he? 37, 38? I saw Mika Mandron's first goal featured on the uh, Soccer AM Goals of the Week section. It was a decent finish, wasn't it?
3: Yeah, all three were. Um, the first one, it was a decent finish, but, you know, it, it, he was playing against kids. And so we're not to be fooled. Um, but I think I said Tuesday night, you can only beat the, the team that's put in front of you. Um <clears throat> But he wasn't. He wouldn't get that freedom in the uh, in a league match. But yes, it was a good finish. The second one was a really lovely move down the right, Header hit the foot of the post, and he reacted first to smash it past Ruddy. And then the third one was a lovely finish, um, a shot from the edge of the box by Robbins that took a bit of a nick on the way in. But um, as I've said, you know, I'm not surprised. Um, I'm not surprised that we attacked and that we scored three goals because of the togetherness and the uh, the cohesion and the the sort of belief within that group that we'll know each other inside out. It's like the polar opposite to our first team at the moment. I would imagine when, when they line up most weeks, it's the same lineup. So, yeah, I think that reflected in the game.
1: Anyone else that stood out for you? Obviously, as well as Robbins, we had Zach Williams making a debut and Colin Woodthorpe.
3: Yeah, both of them, Zach Williams in particular, which obviously was reflected on Friday. Um, Regan Griffiths, I thought he played very well. I, I expected... On the back of that game for him to be featuring somewhere on um, on Friday night, uh, we'll come on to that because I, I think he could have done a better job than certainly one of those that played in midfield on Friday. But um, and Mika, you know, I, I, it it would be wrong of me to say I wasn't impressed with him. But where that that work rate and ability went on Friday, I don't know. Certainly, the two centre halves and Regan Griffiths, I think, particularly stood out. And and, and again, the goalkeeper did nothing wrong.
1: Fair enough. Well, before we move on, Russ, put this crushing win and the magnificent progression into the knockout stages into some wider context for us. Should we be clinging on to this uh, tournament like
4: a like in the uh, post-nuclear war landscape that is our season? Um, I don't think anyone's really clinging on to it because does anyone really care? You know, I, won't, I haven't been to any of the games yet. I, I won't be going to the Doncaster game in the next round either. And if we get to Wembley, I probably won't be going anyway. So. I think, I think it's a good opportunity to re- rotate the squad and to build confidence. But when that confidence is just shattered again on a Saturday, then it's almost totally pointless, especially when he say, as Mark said, he's saying this is going to kickstart our season and then only four players playing in the, the next league game. So what's the point?
1: What's the point indeed?
4: So moving
1: on to Bolton and Alex, Friday night football. Big, shiny stadium. Massive name in opposition and a big, noisy away following. These superb away trips are what we're in League One for, aren't they? How was it for you? It
2: was a good day out, ruined by the football and the weather. Um, put simply, uh, the weather was, was was just like this is what our southerners dream like. Just have a picture in our heads of what the north is, and it was like perfectly encapsulated. Chucking down with rain, blowing a gale, um, which didn't help. You know, I don't know why we didn't didn't decide to get the ball on the deck a bit more, considering the the way the weather was. Uh, it was just the wind was quite severe. Um, but we had the wind in the second half. And they always, I remember when I was a kid, you always wanted to play with the wind. It was sort of it meant you could sort of pen the opposition in because it's harder for them to get out. But we actually were better in the first half. The second half, I mean, granted, I left on the seventy fifth minutes. You know, I, I imagine nearly scored a world in the last ten minutes or whatever. missed Mister Sitter, but. When we were 2-0 down with 15 minutes to go, I was like, I've seen this script plenty of times before. Uh, I don't need to be waiting around in the cold when I could be getting an earlier train back into Manchester. Um, we were terrible. We were so, so bad. <laughs> how else do you... I don't even know how to like, explain it. Like, Zach Williams, it's... you know, Williams made a really assured debut, 17 years old, going on 27, looked very assured, very comfortable, uh, acquitted himself excellently. Um, Callum McFadstein I want to pay for him to go get a sports massage because his hamstrings must be so tight because he can't sprint he can't sprint he's like he's a car that's constantly stuck in third gear uh, just trying to rev the engine up but he just can't go anywhere um, and Madger was you know I don't think he signed for Crew thinking that he'd be playing in that weather in in, in Bolton he had, a, he had a stinker and I'm you know a lot of people have been quite critical of Gomez I went to the Wiccan game and I actually thought he played alright that day uh, but he was in more of a central role as opposed to when he's being shoved to be like one of the more advanced players. And I think he looks more comfortable in the Wickham game playing in midfield. So I do wonder if you're going to pick him. Do you give him a run in the middle of the park alongside there? Because Robertson, who made a very promising start to his loan and, and continued that for a few weeks, his form has tapered off in the last few games. He's not been as impressive as he has been. He's always almost coincided with Lowry coming back into the team. Two similar players, I wonder whether their styles clash a bit. You maybe need a bit of an enforcer that plays alongside them. I don't know. Personally, I think they're two good players. They should find a way to work. Um, so maybe there's a, there's a chance that Magic can go in there instead of, instead of Robertson. But just collectively, an absolute samples.
1: We went three five two, or at least that's kind of how it appeared to me at times. Um, how much of a surprise we, was it to you, Alex, that uh, Murphy was dropped or rested?
2: I think it was about time. You know, I like Murph. I think he's a good, honest pro. But his form hasn't been great this year. And he's, you know, captain in a sinking ship. It's not like he's exactly, you know, youth, when he was skipper in his first spell 2013, he was captain because he was the best player and he led by example. He might still lead him by example, but his performance aren't reflecting that. And I think he had to make the call to drop him. I mean, Mika was captain though, wasn't he? And I was thinking, really? Like, we're going on about... Lacking leaders, all that sort of stuff. And whilst I like Mandron, although being wretched in the league this year, he um, doesn't strike me as a man to lead you out of the trenches in Bolton on a cold, wet Friday night when you really need a result to give yourself any chance of kickstarting the season. Um, the problem was, you look around, there wasn't exactly a plethora of captain options. Like, realistically, who would you have picked? Lowry is the argument, but he's not signing a new contract. I don't think it sends a particularly good message to then chuck in the captain's armband.
4: David a good leader.
2: Yeah, but he's it, your second-choice goalkeeper who's in because the other goalkeeper's out of form. Do you then stick the captain's armband on him as well? Nope. Not, not sure about that. The you obvious choice
3: would have been offered, I think. That's exactly um, who I
2: was going to go to. But then he's still only in his sort of... What's he played? He's only played about not even 50, 60 games, probably, considering the hamstring injury he had last season and obviously the promotion season. He came into the side relatively I late. I just want to make
3: the point while we were on the, the three in midfield. Going back to Tuesday... The manager sort of says that every match is an
2: opportunity for someone to
3: get a chance in every training session, blah, blah, blah. And I thought, what must Regan Griffiths be thinking on Friday night? Because he's played really well in the week and we've won. Um, And he's behind Tommy Lowry, who played all right, but let's not make any mistakes. He's not playing for the team. He's playing for a move. Um, He's not going to sign a contract. He's off. So his efforts aren't for our cause particularly. He's behind Scott Robertson, who... I like and think he's done well um, and I would probably have him in my team. But the counter argument to that is he's not one of our own. He's a lone player, so Griffiths is behind him. And then Gomez, who was so, so far done absolutely nothing in a shirt and did nothing again. So it, he must be sitting thinking, well, what have I got to do to get a chance?
2: The other one I'd argue is why has Josh Lundstrom fallen so much out of favour? I mean, did he play? You, you went on Tuesday, Mark. Did he play wing-back on Tuesday in the in the Pizza Cup? Or he did,
3: he did all right, um, but I, I'm not sure that he's going to become um, a wing back. I always had him down as a midfielder, and I know, don't, this...
2: I don't mind him though. I get what you're saying. He's not a long-term option at wing back, but realistically, if you're playing three-five-two, your wing backs provide you the width. If you've got a right-footed, left-left-footed right wing back, he's always going to cut inside. You are then losing almost a third of the pitch because he's not hugging that byline, which you need your wing backs to do. So what you really need in a win back, you need an engine that can get up and down. Has Lundstrom got an engine? Yeah, I think he has. Can he get yeah, up and I down? Agree. Can he hit the byline? Yeah, he can. I think for a short-term fix, whilst Ramsey's injured, whilst Johnson's injured, whilst Daniel's injured, I think he could do a lot worse than get Josh Lundstrom in there. And it means Rio can then go to left wing back where he's comfortable. And Callum McFadstein can get sent to the moon. So everyone wins.
3: <laughs> Absolutely spot on. And Tim, you and I watched it together. You made that point on um, on Friday night. Like Rio is so much more vulnerable on the right hand side. And he's another one of our own that must be looking across the pitch at Callum McFadden and thinking, really, he's keeping me out of the left back spot. He's terrible. And these are the things, these are the decisions that are um, not me, not yet, but have some fans starting to really, really question the manager.
2: No, and, and it's difficult. Like,
1: I'm. No end problems in the first half.
2: Yeah, it's, it's, you feel, you do feel for, for Rio, because actually he's, he's been, you know, hamstrung by his ability. It's only because he's better than McFadstein that they're more likely to play him at right wing back, which I don't think is the way to go. I think what's the point in putting, you know, if he's, if the replacement's, I was about to swear, but I forgot it's a family podcast, not very good. Why not stick Rio at left wing back? At least have your best player in his best position and then make, make shift at right wing back as opposed to having a crap left wing back. And a left wing back at right wing back—it's just, you know, bizarre, bizarre, very bizarre.
5: Yeah. And I get, it's, and
2: it's it's difficult because you know Daniels, Johnson, and Ramsey—they're probably three options to play right wing back. They are all out injured at the time. You know, there's an argument that says, well, do you just go to a back four? My gut feel is no. I don't think we're never going to score enough goals with the player, the quality of players we've got. So realistically, we've got to try and limit the amount we concede, and then see if we can win a goal by scoring one, maybe two. Uh, so I think the back five is the best way to do that, but he needs to find a solution to the right wing back whilst we've got these injuries. And I Rio think at the moment, is not the solution.
1: At the moment, whichever formation we use, it's a little bit like trying to pull a tablecloth over a table that's too big for the tablecloth that you're trying to fit over the table. Wherever you put extra men, you're leaving a space somewhere else mm. on the pitch. But I, I I, don't mind Rio at right back as long as we've got a competent left back. Uh, the problem is at the moment, it doesn't seem like we have. Russ... First half, especially, it seemed like the Bolton right back Isgrove had all the time and space in the world.
4: Yeah, I mean, he was playing against a 17 year old making his pro debut who was very good. That's not any, but no bones about that. He was very good. But when you've got Magic, who's useless, and McFadden, who's useless, he was always fighting a losing battle. And Lloyd Isgrove just had the freedom of the park, as you say. And I think we did play it all right in the first half. But we the only reason it was nil-nil is because their striker missed a couple of sitters and Richards produced a few decent saves. And I think that covered up the cracks of what was a fairly useless first half. Because I think the only shot we had was Luke Offord's full volley from about 40 yards out, was it? So it, it, nil-nil at halftime against Bolton's not terrible, but the performance was awful and it was sort of just papering over cracks the entire time.
1: Fair enough. And then, Mark, Second half starts and we're under a little bit of pressure. Well, then we seem to ride it out and we seem to be coming into the game and they seem to be running out of ideas and then disaster strikes, doesn't it?
3: Yeah, I mean, whilst it wasn't great the first half, I don't think anybody in that away end was disappointed that it was nil Um And we, we were sort of optimistic and thinking, we were talking, weren't we, at half-time thinking, how can we go on and win this? Um, and if we can stay in the game, there's a chance of winning it. And I said to you, no, you know you'd look at um Rotherham away we stayed in the game, and then I've watched it back uh this morning, and the actual cross that was crossed in there was nobody there. there was no danger whatsoever. I think there was three of our defenders. There wasn't um a Bolton player anywhere near offered, and he inexplicably tries to chest it back to the goalkeeper um and fails like quite how you can manage that. I know you were more
1: flabbergasted than me. I've never seen anyone slice a chest before. I was quite, no, I was quite. It,
3: it epitomised the season in one sort of one mistake. And of course, you know, one nil, you've got a sort of half chance. But I think every single person that away and knew what what it meant in uh, four minutes later when that second as one soon went as, in, it's game over.
4: As soon as one goes in, the heads drop, don't they? And they almost don't care anymore. And then. It was no surprise they only took four minutes to score the second. It's surprising that they didn't get three, four, five, six.
3: I've written down here, Ross, honestly, in capital letters, victims. Because if you watch the reaction, especially after the second, they've all got their hands on their heads. They're all feeling sorry for themselves. They're on the haunches. They're just a team of victims with no backbone that look every time they run onto a football pitch that they're waiting to get beat. There's no thought about winning a game. It's like, shit, we better not lose.
1: Mark, one thing that you mentioned to me on um, on Friday night was that it reminded you of uh, the days in Lads and Dads when you were turning up every week, knowing you were going to get beat. Do you want to elaborate, elaborate on that?
3: Yeah, I did. And, and uh, I said it to you, and a lot of people around us acknowledged them when they heard me say it and said, yeah, that's right. It's the it's the sorry team that um, Lads and Dads or Sunday League football that knows they're going to get beaten 13, 14-0 every week and turns up and just goes through the motions and and looks beaten from the first kick to the last. And then they go back, and the next week they they try and do the same again and with the same outcome.
4: The only player that I can remember actually even putting a a, a rough, hard challenge in was Zach Williams. There's a couple of times where it probably was his growth was getting down the right, and Zach Williams has come across and smashed him and the ball out of play. And I think it's so obvious that he's not been playing with this group of players all season because he had the desire, he had the fight. And it's a shame that it will almost certainly get knocked out of him if he keeps playing in this side, because no one else cares.
1: And he, and he almost scored. I mean, I, I I thought it was a fantastic performance. You make a good point there, Russ, um, which I'd overlooked, but that's absolutely spot on. He's not played with this side. He's not got that
3: mentality. And quite frankly, he put some of the uh, the senior professionals around him to shame with the way that he played.
4: He, he could have done a slightly better on the, on the second goal, but, you know, he's come at him quick and... You're, you've got to put eyes on McFadden, who cannot stop our cross to save his life. I think teams will look at us and go, they've got Callum McFadden playing left wing back. We're going to play down the right hand side the entire game. Because it's just, as we said, crosses in every single time. And first goal came sort of from that, I think. And second goal, obviously, definitely came from that. And it's just, it's a huge weak point. And I I feel sorry for Zach Williams having to play down that side with him.
2: Ian Everett's still battle manager, isn't he? Uh, yeah. His tactics must have just been, kick the ball near McFadsey. That's all we've got to do today. Just kick the ball in and around <laughs> his vicinity and we'll get something, I promise you. And he was right. Like the first goal, I think the first goal is an offered mistake. Um, it was, like you said, I don't know how you slice your chest back. It was quite impressive, if anything. Unfortunately, it led to Richards clattering their striker. And then the second goal was just, McFadsey doesn't get within two yards of the bloke. He just didn't, not at one stage, did he engage him? Did he try and get tight with him? He just just was like, no, no, it'll be fine, it'll be fine, it'll be fine. I was like, please get closer to the guy. Please get closer to the guy. Please get closer to the guy. I've played left back. I've played left back particularly poorly on several occasions. I've done exactly the same. Just get close to him and at least make him have to shift to get the cross in. He didn't because he was two yards off. He could just cross it. It was just like shambolic.
1: Russ, Cash and Porter came on for long and man, John. And To be fair, towards the end of the game, we did have a little bit more of the ball in there and around their box. We had a couple of chances, but I guess we had to go for it at that stage because we were 2-0 down. Did you think we were going to get a goal towards the end there?
4: (laughs) Absolutely not, no. I think Kashkid had a chance where he just completely fluffed and it went behind him. Then he had another chance where the keeper dropped it and it was like, what, sort of 10 yards out, but he just smacked it straight at the keeper, which is a tricky chance, yeah, because everyone's tight-knit and it's sort of like... You've got to react quickly, and he just hits it straight at the keeper. But um, did Porter really touch the ball? Not sure. I like Porter and I like Kashkir because Kashkir just runs and runs and runs. And I, saw, I like Chris Long for that as well. I think Chris Long is one of those players, one of the few players who has sort of got that desire and got that passion still. But, but they just—they it's almost like they don't train together because there seems to be no system between the four of them, Mika included. There's no, there's no pairing that actually work. So it, it's maybe let's try cash getting long and just run all day long, pun intended. Well, the closest
1: that we came on the night, Mark, was the was the volley from Gomez towards the end that smacked into the upright and bounced across the line. Um, <laughs> with that with that sort of ability to to hit the ball from distance, he must be some player now. Uh, no, no, that was um... <laughs> <That's>
3: <laughs> throw me under the bus there. Um, no, that's, that's, I think that's all I will remember the game for from uh, his point of view. Uh, he's, a, he's a passenger and you can't afford to have passengers at any level of football and certainly not at League One. And, and we, uh, I would say we had two with uh, McFadden and Gomez. So a
1: disappointing 2-0 defeat. And Mark, that certainly wasn't what the fantastic away following deserved, was it? So no, it was absolutely wonderful, considering that at that
3: point we'd won one in sixteen and been largely awful for the throughout the whole season. It was a cold, horrible wet night, um and we took eight, the official number was eight hundred and eight away fans, which was you know a, a phenomenal effort and well done to each and everyone. But I'm not sure the players care, but they won't see an away following again this season that size. I'm sure I've looked down the fixtures, and we're not going to commit that many people to a game away from home the uh, the way that things are at
1: the moment. So well done to everyone. Yeah, absolutely. Right, so that just about wraps up things from uh, Bolton. But Alex, that's one win in 17 now. Where do we go from here?
2: I don't know. It's a tricky one, isn't it? You know, I'm going to sound a bit Gary Neville. I'm not one to call for a manager to be sacked. Um, I, but there's no doubt he should be performing better. It's not a great squad. And we appreciate that we lost a lot of players in short succession over the summer, which has sort of derailed plans somewhat. But one win in one 17 is no, is no return that can make a manager think he's safe with his job. Personally, you either act now and try and save the season. Whether the season can be saved is another thing altogether. But you'd have to be decisive and make that call. Or there's no point in waiting until January and getting rid of him. Because by that point, we'll be so far adrift. What is a new man going to get? So it's like you have to either act now or you actually say, Artel is a man to bring us back up from League Two and you give him a chance to rebuild in the summer. Because as people have said, we've got three players in contract for next season. So there's a massive rebuild job going on. Yeah. You know, there's some, Clearly with Williams, a couple of the other lads who look quite tasty yesterday in the Youth Cup. there seems to be the next crop team to be okay. You know, Artel has pedigree in bringing players through, getting them playing attractive football and promote the division. Do you then ch- take that risk and allow him to do it again, or do you act now and say, actually, it's more important that we keep our spot in this division in the first instance. So, personally, what I would do, I would, I'd say act now. I think you can give him till the end of November and get rid of him. So, I think we'd see how the Jills games go, the Wimbledon game goes, the Ipswich go, and I'd make a call after that. But if it's three more defeats, then I would probably pull the trigger, because one in 20, you ain't keeping a job after that.
4: So, yeah, the, pro- the problem is who's rep- who you're going to replace him with? It
2: has, club to be was... it has to be someone from outside. This is the other point. Sorry, I should have made. And thanks for prompting me, Russ. There is no point in taking out Artell and giving it to Lunt, giving it to Bell, giving it to Alex Morris. These players need a fresh voice, they need fresh direction. That doesn't come from within. Now, the club obviously got their fingers burnt back in 2008, 2009 when they hired good John Thorderson. They cannot be scared of making a decision like that again because of one bad experience. We've got a new board in now. They might look at things differently, but there's managers out there who could potentially do a job. You'd think Phil Parkinson at Auckland, who's got Neil Sorville as his assistant, as an example. I'm not buying or selling on on his candidature, but that's an example of someone who could do it. There's, you know, Paul Tisdale. I've seen the name floated around. He did it at Exeter, bringing players through their academy. Ollie Watkins brings to mind Ethan Ampadu. Sold them for good money, got them playing attractive football, got them promoted. Would understand the ethos of the club. I'm not saying he's the right man, I'm not saying either of them the right men for the job, but there is that caliber of manager out there. The club have just got to do their due diligence and don't take the bloke's word at interview that he's going to play the kids. Let's see that proven in the jobs he's done previously. But they have to be decisive with the call on Artel and be decisive to realize it needs
1: to come from the outside. Paul Tearsdale's red and white army, Ross. <sighs>
4: just i just have no belief that they won't just if they sack him they'll just hire from within i just don't in my mind i can't see them not doing that if that makes sense i don't think they'd ever bring a player bring a manager in from outside which leads me to my thoughts of keep him help him with the alex neil stuff i think that's a it's a decent move whether it'll have ever any effect whether he has any sort of what is he doing is he just watching training and then giving advice is he taking training is he what is he doing I think it'd be nice to to know a bit more about that but I think I don't know I honestly don't know I think I agree that it's abysmal form and he probably if if it was any other club he'd go but I don't have faith in the club to hire the right person to replace him so that's why I'd potentially stick and let him try and rebuild next season
2: let's be clear if it was any other club he would already be gone yeah no other club would have given him one out ago. of seventeen, um, so he would have been. I think he'd have been long gone personally, but he's he's, he's had the opportunity. He's still in post. Um, I think you're right though. I, I do. I don't. I don't know actually. You know, Charles Grant's in charge now. There's a new board that sits behind the scenes. This isn't the same club perceived. And if you look at how they've handled things, you know, including the Benel stuff with with Grant coming out and apologising, they're taking. There's a different take on things now. So. I'm not as certain as I would have been, let's say, 12 months ago, that if we sack Artel, we'd give it to someone internally. I think now there is a real chance with the new board they could look at actually getting someone in external who buys into the vision.
1: So, Ross, what was your decision? Are you you sticking or twisting?
4: Oh, um, I'm sticking for a little bit longer. Okay. And Mark, you're,
1: uh, for some reason, chairman of the board. How long are you giving him before you pull the trigger?
3: I'd stick, personally, um, and I'm probably going to get this because
1: I've been already, but I think,
3: actually think there's a much bigger picture that needs to be sorted out than just the, the results at the moment. That's not to say that you discount the results at the moment, because they are terrible. But I think um, we've got into such a mess where we lost the core of a side in one hit. I don't think any club would, would recover from that. And, and when we're probably the... Certainly one of the clubs in the league that play the lowest wages um, it's almost impossible to recover from because we can't replace that amount of players with the same quality. Um, so that needs looking at the way that the contracts are structured and when they're signed and how long they're signed for, etc. Then I think you, you've you got to seriously review the, the money that we spend on um, wages um, because we're, we've got, I don't know, is it five, maybe six loans um, to try and replace some of them. The problem with that I've got is... Well, they're not our players for a start, but then the replacements that we've brought in, let's say Donovan Daniels, um, Terrell Thomas, Chris Porter's another example. Mika, um, we've got our own players coming through the academy. Okay, so I'm going to use for the sake of this point Luke Crawford. So Luke Offred's come through our academy, and at some point we're going to want him to sign a contract in the future. And he's looking alongside him and he's seeing Donovan Daniels and Terrell Thomas playing. They're probably on. A significant amount of money more than they are. And they're not as good. Okay. Now if that continues to be a trend, then I think that we're gonna find ourselves in a position where we've got more Tommy Larry's and Owen Dales than we have Charlie Kirks and Harry Pickerings. I just think they'll be gone and that the whole um structure of the club and the whole outlook and how they want to do business will collapse. It's built on the academy as we all know. Um but there's just cracks beginning to appear. And I think that's a much bigger problem that needs addressing around uh, the football club than just changing the manager right now. The reason I say stick thick is because I think he's committed to the job and he certainly gets what we want to do and how we run. He puts a lot into the club and the run that he took us on when he took over in League Two wasn't an accident. The pros- promotion wasn't an accident and neither was last season. So he hasn't suddenly become a bad manager. He's just not got the tools to work with that he did. Now, some of that's down to him, don't get me wrong. He's recruited, but he's recruited based on the budget he's been given. And I, and I think that the board think that his budget's competitive and it looks like it's not. And I think that's a much bigger issue that needs uh, addressing before a managerial change.
2: The, ar- the argument on the budget, right, is we've got Akron to the Morecambe in the league. They seem to be competing a lot better than they are. They're not going to have dissimilar budgets to us. With Hassel now out the club, you'd think that they'd be able to invest a bit more in the playing budget because actually, you know, we've not got the issues that we've had previously. So I think my concern with Artel is when he first took over, and I remember we beat Morecambe 2017. We beat them 1-0. Perry Engie scored very late on. That night, he had Engie and Pickering in central midfield. And Artel's approach to selection back then, when results weren't going away, was a bit scattergun. He was getting, they were getting results sometimes, and it was in spite of selections, not because of selections. We're almost at that stage now. We're in a better league with a poorer squad though. And it's like, he's not settled on a formation. He's not settled on the team. And I get when you're not winning games, you want to make the change. But actually, there's got to come a time. We draw a line in the sand and say, this is our best side. This is our best formation. We're going to give these a run of games and see if we can build some chemistry, build some relationships and give us a chance to get results. He's almost not allowing anything to form by continually changing the formation, changing the personnel. And he did that. It was only that then when we did the Lincoln game, I think 2018, we settled on 4 3 His success as management has ultimately come when he's had a settled side and a settled formation. And there was only a few moving parts. So last year, you know, promotion season, it was uh, Daniel Powell or Owen Dale playing off the right predominantly. You then had the changing parts at centre-half where it was Nottingham. Uh, Nottingham came in. He had Hunt. He had Nolan. to so that sort of changing part. But those fundamentals are what got you success. Granted help by the quality of the players, but think about what, was, what made you successful. And the continuity of selection and formation, I think, was a big factor in that. And I just think he's, I think he's just gone too scattergranted. And that's why he needs someone to go in there and just tell him to almost get back to basics. Stop trying to overcomplicate it.
3: I wouldn't disagree with any of that, but do you not think that... Um, well, it's no secret, is it, that the under-18s that are coming through are, are supposed to be really good. So whoever comes in as manager next, let's say they change tomorrow, is very soon I'm going to benefit from those under-18s, OK? And we probably do well for a couple of seasons until they're all picked off. And then in three years, four years, we'll probably be back here again having this conversation about the next bloke. And I think it's that problem that needs to be addressed. The bottom of the cycle, as we call it, um, they need to find a strategy that means it's not as bad as this. Steve Holland suffered it. He couldn't cope with the bottom of the cycle and he had a lot of money to spend. Steve Davis couldn't cope with the bottom of the cycle. I didn't like Steve Davis at the end anyway, so I wasn't sorry that he got sacked. But you see my point. We're here again, and if we change, we'll be here again in the future.
2: Yeah, I get that. It, you know, and you know, as a support in this club, it is cyclical. You have a good batch that comes through, you ride the crest of the wave, but that wave soon comes crashing down, and then you've got to, you know, go through the take the rough with the smooth. I think my argument is a, it's a. I don't think it's a great league. I, I I actually think you know I remember watching Shrewsbury. We we're, be- were better than them on the day, and I thought we should finish above them. Um, can we finish above Morecambe? I don't see re- reason why not. We'll play Gillingham next week. It'll be interesting to get a barometer of what they're like. I suspect Verdane Oliver's going to be heading the ball a lot, so we just need to make sure we're up for that you know, physical bombardment. Cambridge, bowl accounts, weren't particularly clever. We were tuning up at half-time. If any side lets us score two, you begin to question what they're like at football. So the point is, I think there is a season that could be saved. Now, are we saying in the grand scheme of things, one season isn't a bigger piece and we should maintain the manager to then bring through the academy? And if the board come out and say that, it will rile a lot of fans, but at least you know where you stand. So we've got to, that's, yeah. that's the call that needs to be made. Do we think there's a season to save? I'd argue yes. I think there is. Do you then make that change on the basis that you think you can save the season, but that new manager is then going to be able to make use of the academy players that are coming through? And that's why it's not an easy It's not easy to find that manager who's going to be able to do both. I mean, you could go get, let's say, and we're never, ever going to hire him, and I'd never suggest hiring him, but you could go get Neil Warnock in a firefighting role to the end of the season to keep him up, to do whatever you need to do to keep this side up. But then what happens in the summer when you've got to play, when Zach Williams is in, when Joel Tabiner in midfield looks like he's ready for a game, when Connor Salisbury up front looks like he's ready for a game, you're going to then start playing them, Neil? No, I didn't think so. You're trying to find Paddy Kenny.
1: So Is there, is there a wider issue that, it's slightly tied in with what Mark said, actually, this. Is there a wider issue that the club, to a certain extent, see the graduates from the academy as a, as a cheap way of filling the squad and they're not quick enough to recognise and reward the players that take the step up to solid first team pro and reward them with a, a contract that's equal to their peers that have come in from outside the club? And also, at that point, tie them down to a longer deal, which means that if and when they do move on, the club is suitably rewarded. Because I can't help feel that if we'd have been a little bit more proactive and rewarding with our contracts with players like Perry NG, Pickering, Kirk, Tommy Lowry, and Dare, we might not have been in this mess to start with. Or at least if those players had left, we'd have been properly compensated for them going. I think it's a really good point.
2: If these guys are the gems and the one that's going to bring them the money, why aren't you paying them the top dollar? Why aren't we paying them that money that rewards the status that we'd expect to receive, the money we sort of expect to receive them from them in the transfer market? I don't get it. The argument will still be, I mean, your top earner still only could be on two grand a week here. I mean, Charlie Kirk's getting something like five times that, Charlie, isn't he? He could be on something up to like 10 grand a week because of the, what they can afford to pay. So irrespective of giving them 1,200 quid a week or two grand a week, we're still pissing into the wind you know, fundamentally, all right, it's 800 quid a week and to me or you, that would be quite handy. But when you're looking at the numbers that involved with them being able to move on, they're still more than likely going to dig their heels in you'd have thought, if they wanted to. That sh- I should make that clear. If they want to dig their heels and they realise they can still get more money elsewhere, irrespective of us I, making them top earners.
3: I, I completely agree. But on that, I think it's worth saying that, you know, we're bottom of the, of, of the league and won one in, I think it was 14 or 15 at the time. <clears throat> and David Artel was on about trying to make sure there's a, a visible pathway for the under sixes and sevens to make it through to the first team. And I find it very hard to disregard a manager with that outlook because he's likely never to benefit from those players. And he's already thinking about the future of the club after he's gone. So it, it shows me that he cares. He's not just in it for himself right now. And some, you know, the, the sort of manager that you, you alluded to, Alex, would be and wouldn't be as keen to play the uh, kids. So I think it's a, it, it's a massive decision to make, but one thing that you said, Alex, I think is absolutely spot on. We need some transparency from the board, we're like we're going to stick or twist, and this is why we're going to do one or the other. Um, because at the moment, I appreciate that people are going to be listening to this and completely disagreeing with me, okay, and I accept that. But at the moment, it feels like we're going from de- defeat to defeat to defeat, and nothing's been said or done or, or changing. I mean, the only thing we've seen that's any different at all is this. Um, This mystery role of Alex Neal.
2: I think there's an argument if you're going to stick with Artel, give him a proper support structure. Because like he says, and like a lot of people says, he's almost a one man band. He's going to watching games after he's going to watch every game that he can. He's then trying to coach the players during the week. He's then got to manage at the weekend. It's not sustainable for one man to have that much of a workload. Now they've got to get him the right level of support, I think. So, you know, when it comes to recruitment, go get someone in. You know, I'm not saying a director of football. No, but Dario's walked out of the building, he's retired or banned, whatever you want to call it. How have they backfilled that technical director role? And I'm not saying he was doing too much. He hasn't done too much whilst Artel's been manager, but that's still a hole in the club. You had, you know, James Collins was head of the academy, or whatever, and he was coaching the coaches. He's obviously moved on. I don't know if they backfilled that role. So if they're doing that, they've got to just try and take the strain off him if they're going to stick with him and say, right, we're going to give him a support structure that we think will be able to make him flourish and not almost put the weight of the world on his shoulders.
1: So, it, it, enough enough doom and gloom. Let's some, talk about something a little bit more positive. Alex and Dave went to the Youth Cup game on Saturday, and this is how it panned out.
0: Half-time. Crew won, Harrogate won. What do you think so far? Bit of a
2: slow start. Harrogate deservedly took the lead. Uh, we then grew in the game. There was a little stoppage for, like, an injury, and I think Bell rallied the troops, and we've been very good since, sort of, the. Oh, midway point in the first half. Deserved an equaliser. And then Charlie Finney nearly scored what could only be described as goal of the century at Fortress Gresty. But unfortunately, his lob just hit the underside of the bar and bounced uh, away to safety. Uh, good half, though. Level. Go on, kick on in the second half. Win this. 3-1, I reckon.
0: <laughs> Alex, 90 minutes gone. to all. What do you think?
2: Well, I said a 2-1. There's absolutely no chance Harrow got a scoring again. And then about three minutes later, they went up the other end and scored. Uh, we've been the better side. We sh- we've had plenty of chances, haven't we? we just not put them away. So, uh, I'd like to say it's a bit like the first team, but unfortunately, we're not really creating many chances as a first team nowadays. It's been a good game, though, hasn't it? <laughs> Thoroughly enjoyable, which is, again, a lot more than can be said for the first team. We've done all right. We've done well. We, we- Conor Salisbury's led the line well. There's been some good attacking play. Go and get that goal. Kill this game off. They're tiring. We've just got to pick them off now. Extra time have we come? Yes. Hopefully not penalties. <laughs> <Yeah! laughs>
0: Half time during extra time then. Crew now winning 4-3.
2: Well, I think in the words of what's his fella anchor man that escalated quickly 2-2 at full time 4-3 in the first 15 minutes lovely goal from Charlie Finney when it all But held it in the top bins from the edge of the box uh, then some classic crew defending so good to see we brought him through the academy where we just let a big man bully the centre off, cut inside and hit could keep have done better than the near post don't know he's 17 years old I better not criticise um, and then score from a set piece just uh, going to go ask him for six lucky numbers because we don't do that very often, do we? So uh, luck must be in. Can we hang on? Uh, I think there's another goal in this game. Um, so we just need to hope it's our way.
3: Oh, yeah. oh that should have been buried. It's oh, yeah.
0: Just finished, final score, 5-3 to Crew. Deserved
2: win. I did say at half-time of extra time, there's another goal in it. And Conor Salisbury got the goal. His uh, all-round play deserved. He led the line excellently. Good performance. Um, maybe they should put these on every Saturday instead of the jokers we get We get served up. On to the third round. Looking forward to it. Enjoyable afternoon all-round.
1: That was the, uh, the footage from the Youth Cup. Alex, did you enjoy it?
2: I had a great day. Honestly, it was 5-3. Brilliant game of football. You know, I was fortunate enough to be sat with producer Dave. So company was good as well. And that's, you know, honourable mentions to Si and, and Steve, who I also sat with in, in case they get the arm, I don't mention them. A uh, really good day, really good game of football. I think what helps is the naivety that sort of kids of that age play with. There's a lot of freedom. You know, they're really keen to go forward and try and score goals and win games rather than the fear of failure that can sometimes consume uh, professional footballers. So it was refreshing. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll be eyeing up when the third round draw is. I know we've got a free weekend, the first, September, the first Saturday of December. So I think there might be an opportunity for the club if we get another home tour. But I'm hoping for a jokes away day, to be fair, on that Saturday and I'll, and I'll be going.
1: Am I right in thinking Zach Williams didn't play two games in two days and they rested him for the, for the Youth Court game?
2: Yeah, they did. I wasn't a fan of that decision before the game. You know, Friday was obviously the starter. Saturday was the main course. Um, you don't fill yourself up on starters, do you? You make sure you save yourself for the main course. But uh, what do I know? Maybe they realised, you know, imagine when he comes back in the side, by the way. Oh, got him in that centre-half. There's a, there's, there's, a, there's a run into this cup if we get a nice draw. I'm telling you, boys,
0: we're going back to City.
1: And Dave, Zach Williams is one of the players who impressed you from the previous round. But who caught your eye this time?
0: I think Joel Taberner again. Um, yeah, little dynamo in midfield. Um, and Connor Salisbury up front as well, of course. He probably he could have had three or four on another occasion, but he managed to scramble a goal at the end. Um, but, yeah, you sort of led the line well. Uh, and I think I said this last time, it was so nice to be at Gresty Road and sort of not expecting a win, but at least expecting some goals and having a chance of a win. And I've not felt like that for a long time. So next round, especially if we're at home, get yourself down there. Assume it's going to be free admission again. Great day out. The crowd was pretty good again. They didn't give an attendance yesterday, but I imagine it was four or 500 again. Um, great atmosphere. Um, Yeah, what's what's not to like uh, if we can get on a run in this competition finally there will be something this season to to shout about.
1: Fantastic that's the Youth Cup covered and next we'll turn our attention to next Saturday's game at home against Gillingham (music) Russ, next week we've got the ever popular short corner Dodger, Steve Evans and his Gillingham team in town, what can we expect from them?
4: Well, they're going to be physical. They're going to play long balls. They're going to hit it up to the striker, which will probably probably be uh, for Dane Oliver, who will probably score. Um, I hadn't realised that they were so low down in the league. I thought they were sort of upper mid table, but they're they're nineteenth, but they are still eight points ahead of us. So I think it's going to be a traditionally tricky game against the Steve Evans side. Um, we think did we lose four one away last year and then got beat at home as well? Probably. Um, I'm I'm not looking forward to it one bit.
1: And Alex, other than positioning an accountant near the away dugout, is there anything that we can do to scare Steve Evans and his team? <laughs> <laughs>
2: um, I don't know. To be honest, I'm going rather in hope rather than expectation. I just hope there's a bit of fight and desire. If we get turned over, but everyone can say hand on heart, they put 110% in and, and, and ran themselves into the ground, I'll go away relatively happy. But that's that's all I'm after. I, I We've never had a good record against Steve, Steve Evans' teams. I know we got a couple of results. I remember we battered Crawley on a good Friday in 2012, the season we went up. Lee Bell then conceded a late penalty. But that's the only time I can really remember us sort of getting the better of at one of his sides so comprehensively. So basically, get Nick Powell back on loan for the day and we'll be fine.
4: But yeah. No, that covers a lot of games though, to be fair, on not it? Not
2: just Steve that's Evans. True. Very <laughs> true. Yeah, so like I said, I go in hope rather than expectation. I just want a bit of fight and desire, which I don't think is too much to ask.
1: Yeah, fingers crossed. And Mark, are we going to shock League One and the world here with a win? Or is it going to be another sorry episode and another weekend crying into our beers, stroke wines, stroke non-alcoholic beverages to lead us appropriate? I'll go for the latter. Um, my heart's saying the
3: 19th, we have only got three wins. They've got a game on Tuesday, uh, a cup replay against Cheltenham. But my head is saying, I've been saying these things for a month. You know, this must win, we might win. I'm a bit hopeful. I'm not hopeful to be honest. So, no,
1: we're not, uh, not going to shock the football world. Well, for some more in depth intel uh, on the boys from Kent, Stu spoke to Matt from the Jills in the Blood podcast.
0: Hi, Matt. Welcome back to the pod.
5: Thanks for having me on again, mate. Second appearance, near?
0: Yeah, that's it. Um, so, last season, I think it was very similar uh, season for Gillingham and crew. How's the season going this year for you guys?
5: Um, we're struggling like yourselves unfortunately like you said it was similar seasons last season we probably punched above our weight both of us and at the moment we're both down near the foot of the table unfortunately you're slightly lower than us and uh, propping us all up at the moment but um, it's been a struggle for Gilles as well unfortunately we've had horrendous injury problems but we're not the only club to have them but we've not won enough football matches we've drawn plenty we're not I think if you look at the bottom half of the table I don't think there's there's many teams if any at all that have have lost as, as few as us but you know we've drawn too many I think The draw with Sheffield Wednesday was the eighth of the season. We've only won three times. And if you don't win enough football matches, you don't get enough points and you don't climb that table, unfortunately, and then you end up struggling. And that's what we've been doing all season. And there's no point dressing it up. We're we're in a relegation fight at the moment.
0: I was listening to the um, Totally Football League show this week and the presenter on there, he said that Gillingham were the most boring side currently in the Football League based on the fact they spent nine years in the same division. Is that (laughs) something you'd agree with? I'm sure, as you just said, in a relegation fight, being boring, that's a—that's uh, an aspiration, isn't it?
5: Well, yeah. I mean, if, if, if you're down the bottom, you'd much rather be in the uh, the nondescript part of the table, probably sort of anywhere from like 10th to 15th, 16th, and, and not have any dramas and be looking over your shoulder. But who does he support out of curiosity? Do we know? Uh Nottingham Forest. <laughs> well, fair enough. So he's, he's fairly neutral. But no, I wouldn't say we're the most boring team in the league. We're, we're, we're the most established. That, that's fine. We've been in there for nine years since we won League Two in in 2013, we've we flirted with the top six a couple of times. We flirted with it briefly last season. We, I think, we went into the top six for a, a couple of days over the Easter weekend because we played earlier. Albeit, we played a couple of games more than teams around us. And, and and 2016, 17, we had to go to to Northampton and get a result on the final day to stay up and preserve our status and not get relegated back to the basement division. So it's there's there's, there's been seasons where we've been fairly nondescript, and I think after. Last day drivers, you like, you take them, you take the, the mid-table seasons if you've been in a relegation battle and, and you consolidate and then you try and, you know, kick on and, and, and progress and, and, and get yourselves further up the table. But under Steve Evans, we've, we've been competitive at worst. We finished 10th consecutive seasons. I know the first was curtailed by the COVID pandemic and we was 11th, but we, we jumped above Ipswich Town based on points per game. But I certainly wouldn't say it's been boring under Steve Evans. We've we, we picked up points and results and wins against, against some big boys, you know, the Sunderlands and Portsmouths and Hulls. We've taken points off of them in the last season. So, no, I wouldn't say it's been boring. Sometimes you just need that that quieter season, don't you? And we all like them. I'm pretty sure you'd like a quiet season in the middle of the table at the yeah, moment compared absolutely. to what we are getting. But it's, um, it's all swings and roundabouts. All these things go in circles, don't they? And uh, I'm sure we'll have a couple of them in the... Uh, In a few seasons, again, whether that's in League One or League Two. But no, I wouldn't say we're boring, but established.
0: Okay, fair enough. Now, (laughs) it's impossible, Matt, for anyone that follows you on social media uh, with your work with Jills in the blood or with the third tier to be unaware of your appreciation for striker for Dane Oliver. Ex-crew player, didn't really get an opportunity at the Alex, possibly a bit young, but too early for him. But is he still a big part of the way that Gillingham play?
5: Oh, 100%. Yeah, scored at the weekend against Sheffield Wednesday, earned us a point at Hillsborough. If you followed my um, Twitter feed over the last 24 hours, I think we've we've upset pretty much all the faithful at Hillsborough. The natives are not happy. I think we're the, the worst team that's ever come to the ground. Anti-football. Um, took five, anything between one minute and five minutes to take a throw on. Um, it's all fun and games, isn't it, at the end of the day? Um, <laughs> but no, Vidane Dane Oliver plays a huge part in what we do and he's got 26 goals in a season and a half, effectively, um, and his record wasn't prolific. I'm sure he'd be big enough to say that. Um, previously, he was very good at Northampton in League Two. I think he scored eight or nine goals and provided half a dozen assists. As they got promoted a couple of seasons ago via the playoffs, but um, he started fairly quietly in his first season with us. It was that purple patch from sort of beginning of February to the end of March. We got nine in eight, I think it was, that propelled him into, you know, sort of everyone's thoughts. Um, outside of Gillingham Football Club and outside of the supporter base for the and, uh But no, he's, he's, he's one of the best at what he does. He's, he's good in the air. We know that. I think if, we, if you follow the, the third tier and, and certainly D3, D4 podcast, they're always putting out tweets about aerial battles and he's always absolutely miles in front. But he's more than that. He's, he's got two good feet. He can finish. There was Jills fans that accused him of not being a natural finisher when he first joined, but he's anything but. He knows where the back of the net is. He scores with both feet. He scores with his head, obviously. Um, And he brings others into play. I think he's been hindered this season because of a lack of replacement for Jordan Graham on the main. And we were always going to struggle to replace Jordan. He's gone to the championship and he's starting to get regular games there. And and 13 goals and 12 assists is a reason why he moved to the championship and left us. And that's no disrespect to us, no disrespect to a club like Crew. But there's plenty of bigger fish and bigger ponds for the likes of Jordan Graham to go and play. in than the Jills and the Alex. And um, that's the way of the world at this level. We all know that. Um, we've been a bit narrow throughout the season so far because of injuries we brought in Mustafa Carriol to provide width Danny Lloyd but Danny Lloyd started the season as centre forward because we didn't have anyone fit Carriol got himself into some form and then he's barely played for two months so we've not played to V strengths but he's still got six in uh, 20 games in all competitions, so he's going at around one in three so if he carries on for the rest of the season and plays 50 games he's going to get us 15-16 again which is you know that's, that's, that's a decent record for a free transfer we're not a club that can go and spend 300000 500000 a million on, on a player and, and guarantee 25 goals a season. Unfortunately, that's not how we work. But um, I'm confident if we can get carry Old fit, we can get some more natural width. We've got Ryan Jackson back now who provides that from, from right back. Then V will continue to flourish and continue to score goals on a regular basis. Uh,
0: you've mentioned a couple of players who have come in to replace Graham, who I remember had a superb game, well, the home game against Crew last season. Uh, is there anyone else that we should be looking out for that's now in this team that we might not have seen? Anyone that's vastly improved on last season? Who is it that's uh, Gillingham's key players?
5: Uh, the keeper's been very good. Jamie Cummings, probably because he's been slightly overworked, unfortunately, because of the injuries and the fact that, that we're conceding too many goals. But he, he's come in on loan from Chelsea. He was at Stevenage last season, kept 17 clean sheets. I think there was a stat going around over the weekend that says that he's got something like a 75% or 77% save completion rate, which is, is phenomenal rate. Right? Again, it probably indicates that he's slightly overworked and he's having to do too much. Um, but what he's having to do, he's doing it well generally, and he probably deserves more clean sheets than he's got based on his own performances. But we all know it's a team game, unfortunately. If, and if you're not at it throughout the, the pitch, then then you're going to cause yourself um, issues. But Jamie Cumming, I think, has proved more than able um, replacement for Jack Bonham, who went to Stoke in the summer. Um, Carl Dempsey, the captain, you know all about, he played last season, was very good. Um, probably Danny Lloyd, like I've already mentioned, he's been a, um, a, a real find. We played under Evans, I think, 2016-17 at Peterborough, then dropped into non-league with Salford, got back into League Two with Tranmere. We picked him up on a free in the summer. I think he's got three goals, two assists this season. I'll like say, he was playing as a centre-forward and that wasn't his role early on in the campaign. But now we've managed to get a bit more of a steady system, at, work, at least um, he's, he's been playing either as a number 10 or as a, a wide player. And he's flourished and his work rate off the ball is unbelievable. You have to do that to be in a Steve Evans side. At the end of the day, we all know how Steve Evans teams work. I'm not going to sit here and pretend that, you know, we're Manchester City or Bayern Munich or Barcelona because we're not. We'll, we'll get up the pitch early. We'll hit our front man, whether that's V, John McKinley or both. And then we'll try and get our good players on the ball in the final third and hurt teams. And, and we do that and it, and it works really well. And that's why we've managed to finish in the top half under Steve Evans for two consecutive seasons. Um, so yeah, Danny Lloyd will be a threat. We've had a couple of youngsters that had to come in because of injuries. Gerald Sital scored um, the equaliser last week in the cup game against Cheltenham. He looks very bright. I know he's highly thought of. Uh, Bailey Akhurst, another one, left back probably will play. Um, 18-year-old made his league debut at Hillsborough and was super solid for 70 minutes against a very good side. So we've got some promising youngsters coming through that we're having to use probably more than ideally. Um, but we've, you know, everything now is geared towards. The trip to your place on Saturday, we've got a cup replay on Tuesday against Cheltenham. For me, we write it off and I don't like saying that, but Oliver went off injured. Carl Dempsey went off injured at the weekend and and they're probably not going to feature. So we are going to be down to probably 13, 14 professionals, including two goalkeepers. Um, So the biggest thing for me is, is getting everyone possible fit and available for for a huge game at the weekend because it is a relegation six-pointer at the end of the day.
0: So, Matt, before I let you go then, I'm going to ask for your prediction for that relegation six-pointer then, please.
5: If you'd asked me a few weeks ago, I wouldn't have been that optimistic, but I think we're, we're not winning enough games, but we're, we're becoming harder to beat with four unbeaten in the league. I think we've, we've won one and drawn three. Probably should have won three and drawn one. Should have beaten Bolton. We were tuning up 86 minutes on the clock. Uh, did everything but score at home to Accrington. I like Kroof, I like David Artel, so I don't like predicting against him, unfortunately, but you're playing my team. I'm going to say, if Jills play as well as they have been in the last few weeks, uh, we'll nick it by the odd goals, a 1-0 or a 2-1 to Gillingham.
0: OK, Matt, thank you for your time.
5: It's been a pleasure as always. Thank you, matey.
4: So, it's time for our regular Fan Hub update. Russ, over to you. Well then, the top three has not changed much. Uh, in third, we have got my dad, Neil, with uh, 77.5. In second is the ever-present Callum Sessfords with 93.8 and top is obviously Matt Owen with 94.6. Tim, you've rose up the table. You're sixth now. I'm th- uh, 14th and the uh, producer Dave is 23rd and on the club's leaderboard, we have sunk a little bit. I think we're 10th now, so um, Yeah, that's not
1: ideal. Thanks, Ross. Okay, now the bit you've all been waiting for, it's the minutes game. Last week, the boys were trying to guess the time of the goal in the Wolves under-21 and Bolton games. Gary was 61 minutes out in total and drops from first to third. Steve was 68 minutes out and he's now in 14th. Mark, you were just one minute out against Wolves for a total of 32 minutes out across the two games, and that improves your average slightly to 18.75, and you're up to seventh. And on to this week. Alex, you're in eighth, just behind Mark in seventh, after his near bullseye. Russ, you are currently just outside the promotion places in fourth, so you get the honour of going first. I want the minute of the first goal against Gillingham, please.
4: Well, it'll definitely be for Gillingham, so I'm going to go... I think we'll toil for a bit and then we'll succumb to a long ball in the 33rd minute.
1: 33rd. And
4: Mark? Believe it or not,
3: i actually write something down for this. And I've written 67, but during this podcast I've realised the likelihood of was keeping the ball out of the net for 67 minutes is zero. So I'm going to change <laughs> and go for
2: 17. 17, thank you. And Alex? I literally was going to say the 17th minute. I was like, "We'll have a first fifteen minutes. It will be, we'll go toe to toe with him. Then we'll do something daft, and then we'll be one nil down." Um, so yeah, thanks for going to me after Mark. Um, right, we'll get, we'll get to twenty minutes, twenty second minute.
1: Twenty second. Okay, thanks guys. And just to let you know, you are all chasing producer Dave, who is top of the league with one guess and a total of one minute out. Is producer Dave going to
2: have? Is he going to have another 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 guess? Because obviously he's man behind the mic.
1: I, I think he can, a, he can have another guest if he wants. Yeah, Dave, game on. guest, Dave. Let's
2: go his record.
0: No, that, it's not required. No, no. no.
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's a very defence strategy from Dave. Okay. Well, that just about wraps her up. Thanks to Mark, Alex and Russ. Thank you. Thanks to producer Dave. Thank you. And thanks to you, listener. We'll be back next week to discuss the Gillingham game. And you'll be pleased to know that you will be in Stu's capable hands. Thank you. And goodbye.
4: Dang ba dang dang for ding dong ding blue moon